Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. For today's show, we're going to answer some more of your questions about selling hard-to-categorize books that weren't written to market or to trope. And you can check episode 69 for the first part of this discussion. Today is basically we're going to be answering some more of your questions. And I just want to say before we get started that I didn't mean to imply in the last show or in 69 that... You know, if you're writing the niche stuff and you're not, you know, that I don't want to imply that you're not going to be able to make a good living if you don't cross the chasm and get to more mainstream or even mainstream within your genre acceptance. Um, if your niche is large enough and or you're prolific enough, you can make a great living self-publishing. Uh, the numbers do become less in your favor if you're traditionally published and writing niche stuff because you need to sell a lot more books to make decent money. As an indie, for example, if you sell 10,000 copies each for two releases a year of eBooks at $5, you're making over 60,000 right there. And eventually you'll have a backlist and be selling more of that. So that's pretty good money. But, um, you know, if you're traditionally published to them, 10,000 books is a failure basically. And, you know, it may not be, uh, you know, enough to really move the dial much other than some part-time income. But, um, yeah, as an indie writing niche stuff, I have done books like that, uh, that sell 10,000 copies in steampunk where it only takes, you know, like 50,000 in the Amazon store to actually make the top 100 in that genre. It's not super popular or competitive. So just want to throw that out there. <laughs> um, why don't we jump in? If you guys have any news you'd like to share before we get to the questions. Yeah. Um, so we're flying our niece in from Colorado to take over the house for a week so I can hold up and finish the Midnight Chronicles. Um, I've actually gotten a bunch of work in on it this last week. It's been really, really great. And I'm going to be totally restructuring the end of the series, like taking out a ton of loose ends that are in um, books four and five. And yes, book has been pub book four has been published, but guys, 125 people have downloaded book four. <laughs> and so I can actually, I don't feel guilty making changes to the plot with only 125 people having downloaded it. So I'm going to remove some threads and finish this book with just this last book or finish the series with just the last book. So, um, anyway, so then I'm also still working on the dictation course. Um, but we've been mostly focusing on Christmas and family events, things like that, just getting ready, you know, getting shopping for the kids and all that. So that's pretty much it for me. Um, so for me, uh, I, the thing I've mentioned that I was, uh, I'm doing a thing where I'm documenting every single step of creating something. And the goal I, the, to, was to do it with a novel, but I wanted to see how the process would go and experiment it with a little bit. So the Patreon, the patrons on Patreon have been watching me do that with a, uh, with a short story. Well, it's supposed to be a short story. Uh, they got an unexpected lesson about how to take something that's been growing out of control and keep it from getting to be a novella instead of a short story, but it's still pretty long. And what's funny is because these are my super fans who, uh, and I'm sure many of them are listening. Hello, everyone. Um, because these are my super fans and I seeing the process in real time, I'm getting real time feedback on the story. And there's been some gentle encouragement for me to turn the story into at least a full novel, if not a series. But the problem is it was the, it had the writing prompt dragons in spacesuits, which makes it science fantasy, which is cross genre, 
which we're learning all about cross genre is tricky and I'm really not in the mood to give myself a challenge for next year. So uh, I'm hoping that I will remain strong and not make this my next, you know, my, my next three, three novel project, but we'll see. I, I, I tend to let the inmates run the asylum as I've said many times. So, uh, if you see a dragon in a spacesuit on a cover as my next release, you know that I, I let my willpower flag. Uh, but that's about it. The only the other thing I've got going on is the Nano Project has gotten back its uh, beta reading. And again, that's the one that's basically Ready Player One inspired. Uh, inspired is a very understated term. It's a direct ripoff of Ready Player One. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to sell it, as I've said. So already I'm, I'm sort of lining myself up for a really challenging 2021 if I don't start planning things a little bit better. Didn't we discuss, Joe, how you're going to do an epic fantasy series again next? Because that's been your best-selling thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what it's going to be, but I've made bad mistakes before. Well, um, there is sort of a... I've certainly seen the cross sci-fi space opera kind of epic fantasy mashups so it's not that they can't sell it's just as we're going to talk about harder because there's not really a category for them and all that fun stuff and andrea i have actually done that before where um night protector was a book i wrote in my star kingdom series with characters that i later introduced into the rest of the series but i kind of forgot some details about the ending uh and so somebody's weapon was taken away or it wasn't taken away. Anyway, I went back and edited the epilogue after, uh, you know, I'm sure a few thousand people. I don't remember how well that one did. But anyway, I have done that only once and I felt guilty about it. But that was easier to do than changing what I had already written in the later novel. So I was like, I'll just do, 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 do a couple little paragraphs, change a little dialogue. Nobody That's will awesome. notice. Did anyone say anything? I think a couple of people who had read the original version were like, wait, didn't they take his sword? You know, didn't they leave his, his knight sword thing? And I was like, not, no, not anymore. Go redownload it. <laughs> if you uh, feel, want to see the new and revised and improved ending. That's awesome. All right. Uh, from my news, I've, uh, finished the ninth and final, final for now, final wrapping everything up book in my urban fantasy series and send it off to my beta readers. I was planning to take a couple of days off before starting my new epic fantasy series, but somehow I ended up with a lot of admin stuff to catch up on. And I'm also writing a Christmas bonus scene that's turning into a Christmas bonus short story. And I started it today. We're recording this on the 23rd and I'm trying to get it up on my blog for Christmas. So we'll see how that goes. And I'm also trying to start the epic fantasy this weekend. So we'll also see how that goes. I'm not good at, not the best at taking time off. But what's new? Shall we start with our listener questions, guys? I think Andrea's got the first one. I do have the first one. Okay, so that's Patricia. She says, what kind of cover do you pick for a book that may be between genres? Should you just, should you just pick a cover for the closest genre and hope for the best? Uh, all right, so while it's important to have a cover that properly represents the content of the book, I'll tell you from experience that erring on the side of the closest genre match is the better bet. If you've got an existing, if you've got an existing following, uh, or you've done the work to develop a well-established author brand such that your, your covers are recognizable as yours, that tends to be the case with mine. Most of my covers are done by a same illustrator, Nick Delagaris. And there's, therefore, no matter what genre I'm writing, there tends to be the same sort of tone to my covers, uh, you know, but they still fit the genre. Uh, if I, 
uh, every time that I have strayed from using Nick or had Nick do a style that is not similar to his previous stuff, uh, I've seen a, a, a dip in sales. So generally speaking, yeah, I use that phrase a lot. <laughs> um, you want to pick the, the genre that's closest to what you have, but don't make it look like you should have at least some element to indicate that there's something off about this one, something different about this one. Otherwise, you, you're going to run the you're going to run the risk of uh, confusing readers. Yeah, what Joe said. Um, and for those who are squarely between two genres, what I mentioned in, in part one of this of uh, this episode or this topic would apply. You can start with the genre that is doing the best right now and not necessarily the most competitive one because competitive doesn't always equal success. Uh, and then eventually plan to have two sets of everything for the book, two covers, descriptions, et cetera. There are a ton of variables here though. Um, and spending money on something that isn't going to pay you back can cause problems, but that's what I did with my mosaic chronicles and it worked out really, really well for me. So I've now got uh, three sets of covers, descriptions, et cetera, that I put through the, um, just like, you know, through the schedule, through the ring and roll, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Anyway. So, and it's worked well for me. So that's, that's something that you can consider doing. Right. You can try something that's unique and different. Um, usually when I've seen that succeed where a cover is like really different, like from, in, let's say we're in space opera and instead of doing the, uh, spaceship battle scene is very typical. Um, they will, you know, maybe it's like the lone warrior in combat armor on a down on a planet. So it looks different from all the current sci-fi or the current space opera covers that are doing well in the genre, but it's still very familiar. Like a lot of times I've seen people do really well with like a throwback to the eighties kind of cover. And you're instantly appealing to all those people that were reading that kind of fiction 30, 40 years ago. Uh, but usually I've kind of personally found in my experience that I've had better luck picking the closest genre and making the cover and blurb in as much as possible fit in there. <laughs> so I, I actually, um, I don't know how different I would go. I would just be like, Hey, this is swords and sorcery, or I'm going to try to pick that as my closest genre. I'm going to do the Conan with the sword lifted, you know, and try to make it look like it belongs there. And then once people start reading, honestly, they completely forget what the cover and the blurb were. And at that point, you're just counting on the story to get them to uh, enjoy the book and continue on. But you have to get them in the door and making it look like what they're familiar with. It's just what's worked best for me. I, I've certainly had it's my whole first couple series were like, not really <laughs> to market or not really, you know, we had so many fewer artists and cover artists and people who really had a clue back then. So I'll blame that partially on it. But yeah, I, I did started doing much better when I, I started doing covers that were, you know, look like they fit in the genre, even if the heroes themselves or the stories themselves weren't quite, quite the same. All right. Our next question is from John. Are vendor sites going to help a square peg book find its readers? If so, how? And if not, then what channels and tactics outside of vendor sites are good for finding and connecting with readers who may be especially interested in what you're offering? All right, I will answer this one first. Um, basically, no. <laughs> uh, the vendor sites helping the square peg book find its readers or helping any book find its readers is not really their job. We are frankly lucky to get a place to put our products in their stores where they have the potential to be seen. We're even more lucky that stores like Amazon don't work like other vendors. Like if you see boxes of granola bars on the end cap at the grocery store or in the checkout line, it's because the manufacturers are paying extra for their product to be there in a prominent position. And this has typically been how it's 
worked at Barnes and Noble too. Like if you saw a book on the table, it's because the publisher paid more for it to be there. So it's really up to us, and, and that's true whether you're to market or to not, to bring readers in and make them want to look for our book in these stores. And how, you know, that's always the hard part when you're a newer author, when you are a newer author. And it's why publishers want to take on authors who already have built a platform, right? Have a website, newsletter, social media pages, uh, spots on the web that people already visit. Um, but putting stuff out for free and directing people back to your site is a good way to start developing readers and an interest in your books. Of course, um, if you're already selling some books, you can direct people back to your newsletter at the end. And then it's always, you're selling to an existing reader becomes a lot easier than trying to always find new readers. Uh, I've had free, you know, one of the first things I did was put the eBooks out for free and also the audiobooks uh, back on iTunes when patio books was a thing. And I put the e well, eBooks, I put them up on Wattpad, basically on a website. And I put the first three books in my series out there. I'm always happy to give away free stuff to get people in. Uh, another tactic is some authors recommend finding forums or Reddit groups or Facebook groups, you know, kind of hanging out where your tribe hangs out, becoming a helpful contributor and being known as someone they would want to buy a book from long before you publish anything. I've honestly never done this. It's a lot of work and doesn't appeal that much to me. Writing more things and that are indicative of the other things I'm trying to sell and putting some of them out for free in places where people are searching for free stories has gotten me a lot farther. And I still, I think that that is the best as an author of fiction. It's really tough to sell people on fiction just by being like, here's your daily life stuff that you're sharing or here's some nonfiction that you're sharing. Like the fiction is really the best thing to sell more fiction. I will pass that to Joe now. Um, I'll say that, that Lindsay's got a pretty uh, comprehensive list there. The only thing I would really add is in your search for communities, like as, as she said, you know, you can find communities and try to be active there in your search for those. Uh, where you're looking for like-minded readers, make it a point to gather the names of other authors in your genre as well. Well, there aren't always useful promotional tools as someone have you believe. You can still collaborate collaborate with other authors on big events or cross promos or things. Every little bit helps, and uh, just building a network in, uh, is going to be useful for you in the long run. Uh, you end up sharing audiences uh, usually implicitly because of also bots eventually. So you might as well start working together early. Uh, it's just easier to get a community community rolling with a handful of authors instead of one. So don't just look for uh, for an audience. Look for peers. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and then like Lindsay said, make sure you have a newsletter list uh, in the beginning. Cast your net wide. This is what I did. Uh, I do recommend it just because you can narrow things down later. Uh, and you can remove people who aren't as interested or people who just don't really care. So, so what I mean by cast your wet net, your wet, your wet night, cast your net wide is do newsletter promotions, you know, like run, um, what are they called? The newsletter building promos, things like that. Those kinds of things that you sp give money to a certain person and they organize this whole event, whatever. You can do things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, newsletters don't cost all that much extra for a ton of people on them. And I forgot to silence my phone. I'm going to do that right now. Leave me alone, people. <laughs> um, anyway, so they don't cost all that much for a lot of people. So it basically pennies compared to other marketing strategies. So it's not a bad way to spend money. Um, you can also join groups on Facebook where authors do newsletter swaps. Uh, if that's not your jam, read books in your genre by authors who are on the same level or just a bit higher and see if you like them, then reach out to them and see if they'd be willing to do a swap. And, um, 
what I mean by your same level and a little bit higher, like if you have five reviews on your book, go for somebody who has five to 20 reviews. Um, you don't really want to be approaching people who like authors that are super, super, super higher than you just because they're probably not going to respond. <laughs> just kind of the way it goes. Um, Anyway, so recognize also that authors who are just starting out are the best people to form relationships with if you're just, if you are also just starting out. So, because then you, you grow together and when they're doing really, really well and you've got this relationship, you, you've helped them in the past, then they'll be more likely to help you. And then vice versa. If you have a relationship with them and you're doing well, you can help them out. Um, so do events with them like multi-author promos. That's where I got traction when I first started. Um, single, you can also do single author giveaways where you're, you're, um, giving away, you know, maybe a bunch of your books in prints, you know, five copies of your book in print, or you're doing, you could do a Kindle fire and then just make sure you're sending targeted, very targeted traffic to that giveaway. Um, you can post on Twitter and hashtag Twitter and Facebook using hashtags and, you know, hashtags related to your genre. Um, and then definitely consider asking for volunteers to give you feedback on your book. This is something that I do It's a serious, it is a marketing tactic that I do that I let them know that I want feedback. I want to hear what they're thinking, but because they're a volunteer, it's, it helps you get new fans basically. And they're reading it to help you out. You can apply what they're saying. You cannot apply what they're saying. Just watch for patterns. And then, then you've got a fan, you know, if they like what they've read. Um, and then also consider doing that even if the book is already published, because it's still a good idea to get feedback from your target audience. And it also helps you narrow down who your target audience is. And for all you know, there's problems in your books that you won't recognize unless you have a bunch of um, people, volunteers reading it. This is advice basically that you're going to ignore once you've been doing this for a while. I don't use beta readers anymore because I'm like, I don't care what you think. <laughs> like, uh, if they don't enjoy my books, then they're not my target audience. But when I first started out and I had no experience creative writing in creative writing, listening to my beta readers and to people who read a lot was very helpful for me. I will say too, if you are going to, if you want to participate in the group promos or something like a multi-author box set, it's a good idea to volunteer to be the person organizing it. You're a lot more likely to get those, uh, higher selling, more well-known authors to say yes. If you're like, I'll do everything. If you could just email your list when it comes out and then, you know, we'll get a few people doing that. A lot of people who will say no, cause then, or they'll say yes, because all they're doing is like, giving you the file and emailing their list once and they'll benefit from it too. So be willing to be the person when you're starting out that just says like, Hey, I, I don't have a big fan base yet, but I will do all the work for this. Uh, next question is from JG. If your series straddles two Amazon second level genre categories, i.e. science fiction and thriller, which combined do not have a menu navigation, only a search result match for sci-fi thriller or third level thriller, techno thriller and sci-fi genetic engineering, what's your recommend? Yeah. What's your recommended decision process for choosing the primary genre? You guys got that? <laughs> I got a little yeah, lost yeah. in this question, JG, but we'll take a stab at it. All right. So if you're asking uh, what genre to focus on in terms of branding and promo, I would suggest uh, looking into all the suitable ones and trying to strike a balance between good sales, uh, let's say 
genres that have good sales uh, and genres that don't have too much competition. You get an idea of both of those by looking at the ranks of the books involved. Like the t- if the top ranks are in the tens, then it's a very competitive one with excellent sales. But if there's, you know, reasonably high rank near the top, but then it drops off steeply, that, that, that might let you know that there's some room at the top in that genre. Uh, in your specific example, uh, I would put my focus on the sci-fi side as a sci-fi audience I find is generally just as likely to enjoy a thriller plot as any other plot. Whereas a thriller audience might not be interested in sci-fi setting. Uh, that's, I think a theme you'll find across a lot of stuff. The, the, the broader genre is usually going to have the more accepting fan base, um, and if you're going to go as specific as genetic engineering, I think, you know, you could do that if you're looking for a good rank. Uh, if you're the sort of, you know, if you want that orange flag that says you're a bestseller, so you can use that for promo copy and stuff, then you can certainly aim for the most specific possible thing because you're probably going to have the best shot at ranking in it. But uh, I would probably tighten, it, w- it would probably end up tightening up your audience too much if you focused in that direction. So like I said, I would shoot for sci-fi for all of my branding and stuff. All right. I have two answers because I wasn't quite sure um, what the question was referring to. But um, so as, as far as what you mean with primary, um, if you're in thriller, subgenre, techno thriller, as far as the Amazon categories, categories go, you're automatically in the parent category thriller. So you're not choosing between those, just to clarify there. Uh, and as far as making the selections in KDP goes, where you get your two choices. There's no primary or secondary, just picking two that you want your book to appear in. And you can email them and ask to be in up to 10 categories. Um, now, but you're, if what you're asking is which one to make the primary as far as marketing goes, like i.e. designing the blurb and a book cover that fits into it, probably what the one that is thematically the closest. Uh, it could be argued either way, just based on numbers and readership of those subgenres that um, it's easier to get into a less competitive subgenre, but potential there are more eyeballs if you can manage to rank in a more competitive one. So I wouldn't necessarily rely on that, like which one's most popular to make your choice. And Joe made a good point, which I think we're going to bring up in another question that if it is at all sci-fi or fantasy, uh, most people who don't already read sci-fi and fantasy are not going to sign up for that. So you might as well just target the sci-fi fantasy primarily. And then yay, that it's also a thriller. I don't think most thriller people are not looking for some sci-fi action in their otherwise contemporary, <laughs> you know, or 10 years in the future. You might be able to get it if it's only a few years in the future, might be able to get the regular thriller crowd. But yeah, sci-fi and fantasy is kind of a dividing line for readers. It's like you either read those genres or you have no interest in those genres. So yeah, um, I love Joe's feedback on this. Yeah. And like what they were both saying, just remember readers aren't as forgiving about genre mashups as authors are. Though, I don't know, maybe Michael Crichton, he wrote sci-fi thrillers. So if your books are similar to his, that I mean, it kind of sounded techno thriller, sci-fi, all of that. Um, that sounds pretty close to some of the books that he wrote. So maybe look into targeting him when you advertise if you are close enough. Okay, then Rasana, I'm guessing that's how you say it. Rasana, I don't know, <laughs> asks, how do you figure out books, uh, out genres for books with tropes that would work for settings in the West, but not international books? 
Um, okay, so I think regional, sp regionally specific books are just as likely to fall in the neighborhood of existing genres as secondary world or generic stuff. There's a, like, you say West as opposed to international, but, like, there is a category called Weird Western, which obviously deals with very specifically the West, not in the context you're talking about, but... Uh, it sort of bridges a gap between paranormal and wild west, but it's a thing that's, that, that, that exists. So having a story that only appeals to a specific region, um, it might limit your audience. Uh, it does somewhat sa sa simplify your promotion because you've got some built-in targeting. But I think you'll probably still broadly fall within a uh, an existing genre. It's just a matter of finding which one's closest. Right. This was another one where I wasn't um, entirely positive, which we're getting at. Um, but you can ask, I believe you can ask for different categories and subgenres in the international stores. If, if it's not ma mix, mashing up, mixing up, matching up, <laughs> something like that with what you've got in, I don't know, for the West, if you mean US, Canada or West as in Europe versus Asia or, or what exactly. But um, I've seen a blog post where you could I think it was on maybe Reedsy. I was hunting for it, but couldn't find it, of course. But I, I did see one recently that was kind of showing you how to pick categories for the international Amazon stores versus, uh, cause if the default is if you just do your amazon.com, sometimes you get in surprise categories or ones that aren't the best fit in, in some of the international stores if there's not a great match up. Um, I will say also, if this is more about, or if you're asking, what do you do if the tropes are only going to appeal to one country or culture and not another, eh, that's just kind of how it is. I think if you make that choice, like you're going to have a tough time selling American Civil War stories to your international audience. Um, at this time, I don't think we can do like different blurbs and covers. I'm, I'm sure we can't, uh, that highlight different aspects in different international stores, uh, at least not like within the realm of Amazon, you could always try, you know, on Google play, try something that's more targeted towards uh, a non-Western audience. Um, you know, it kind of depends on your story and what you want to do. You can always play with that. But again, I think even with like Google play and the places that are in like 80 countries, you still, you get one blurb and <laughs> you got to make it work for, for those stores. So not sure if we understood the question correctly. So sorry if that wasn't entirely helpful. <laughs> Yeah, and I just ditto to what Joe and Lindsay said. <laughs> That's a very helpful addition, I know. <laughs> All right, next question is from Mike. What are good strategies for selling upper, middle grade, lower young adult books? Think Animorphs. Joe's uh, got a new background for those who are not watching on the YouTube. So now I'm thinking all kinds of... I don't know if those would be called Animorphs, but he's got like... Uh, figurines, cartoon kind of figurines. So maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the serious giveaway, a free skunk cartoon character. No, um, but anyway, with kid, kids books, you're generally marketing to the parents or to adults who enjoy kids books. And I know it's been an answer for a lot of my questions. And then also in the first part of the show, but write some free stories to give away and try to draw people to the novels. Uh, the first thing I published was a middle, middle grade short stories about goblins. And I'll be the first to admit it was a slog to sell them. It was a collection, one collection of like eight short stories that I had originally published on the web. And I definitely learned, among other things, that middle grade is not big for ebooks and that collections of short stories don't sell nearly as well as one single full length novel. So it's a challenge. You have to be willing to, like, most people that do middle grade that we've 
had on that have done well have been doing the whole pitching to the school, the librarians of the schools going and visiting the schools, again, trying to sell to the parents. So it, it's a hard road, especially if you're self-published and eBooks are typically the best way to make money. But usually in this age group, you got to go with the paperbacks and try to sell those. Um, I'm going to say that Lindsay's assessment is really the bulk of, uh, of what can be said on the topic, but I'll add that if you are trying to get in front of the intended audience in the hope that they'll bring your books to their parents and ask for them to be purchased, uh, keep in mind that different social media platforms are more popular with different audiences. So Facebook, we often recommend just because it's useful as an advertising tool, it skews older. You're going to be tar you're definitely going to be targeting, uh, uh, parents if you're if you're doing facebook you, in fact you're not even going to be targeting young parents uh, if if all the demographics demographics can be believed but uh you know there's there was a pretty active book community on instagram for a while and that was a bit younger the bookstagram i think they were they were calling it uh if you're feeling really ambitious you can try to find a book focused thing on tiktok but that's a lot of legwork and and these things don't often pay off very big uh, social media is much, pretty good for visibility sometimes but very difficult to translate directly into sales and i would say don't target young readers at all um oops hit my microphone unless you have time to visit schools which I would say probably you don't most, most authors don't, um, because that you have to put money into that. And a lot of schools don't actually can't afford to actually reimburse. And I didn't know they did when I first started doing it. I was like, no, I'm not going to take money from you. <laughs> um, but so I, I don't like, I've got a ton of middle grade books still. I, I rewrote my most successful series into one for young adults because it was kind of on that border between young adult already. So that mature middle grade, you know, upper middle grade, and it was harder to sell at that point than it is now as the young adult series. Um, but I do still have a bunch of other middle grade books and I don't sell them to kids. I sell them to adults who read that genre. Um, and so I would suggest you find books that are similar. So you mentioned Animorphs, um, if that one is similar and target fans of those on Facebook and then fans of that book and then fans of the author. Um, Facebook is the best place to find adult readers of young literature because they're mostly going to be in their forties and fifties and sixties. My dad is a rabid reader of middle grade fantasy. Like he just devours it and he reads his favorite series more than once. And so those are the kind of readers that you're looking for. He doesn't read anything but middle grade fantasy. So, um, I don't know. He might read ESPN every now and then too, but anyway, so that's what I have to say. I will add a thought on this that I had while uh, Andrea was talking. <laughs> I was listening, but um, I recently learned that the most popular channels on YouTube are channels for kids. They are people creating content for kids. So that may be something to look into. I really, uh, authors in general have not figured out YouTube, like how to make it turn into sales yet. But if you have any content that can go along with your, uh, your books that might be turned into YouTube stuff, it, apparently a huge, huge audience of kids. And you have the option to select, is your content for kids? So that probably helps the algorithms figure it out and maybe show it to the, the right viewers of the right channels. I am my own finding very briefly. I'll, we'll do a lowdown on YouTube in a few months. I know Andrea has got a hidden channel there too, is that it can be a discovery tool, um, but you have to be creating content that people on YouTube are looking for. So you probably 
you can't, I mean, you could read your books, <laughs> you know, if you have an audio book, you could put up some of that. But, uh, you know, if you're doing stuff for that audience, you might be doing illustrations and things like that. So maybe if it sparks a bell, something you're interested in, uh, you could go check out some of the channels on there and see if you'd be interested in doing anything like that. And you can monetize those too. So I, I see ads on the, <laughs> the channels for kids. I think you check the box and they're going to be careful what ads they show, but, um, just if you consider. All right. The next question is a long one. I will apologize and try not to stumble too much as I read it. This is from Brent. I have written a long, <laughs> I've already messed it up. <laughs> like it's long guys. Uh, I have written a dark fantasy Western trilogy or nearly as well as a prequel novel as a giveaway on the website. There are parallels to be drawn to Stephen King's dark tower series. Joe Lansdale's Weird Westerns and Brian McClellan's Powder Mage trilogy. So there is some precedent in terms of genre, but it's still a minute subgenre of dark fantasy. As I am a new author and this may be harder to market, I have thought of writing six short stories slash novelettes and releasing them around the various list builder promo sites, such as Book Funnel, etc., and also sites like Wattpad to build a dedicated readership. And then through an autoresponder sequence, lead them to my 100,000-word prequel novel. After six or seven months of this activity, then publish my trilogy, leaving two to three months between each release. After after the published books mature, I might anthologize. Is that a word? Anthologize. I'm sure it's a word. Can I pronounce it as a question? The reader magnets and publish them. Is this the best way to garner interest in a subgenre that isn't necessarily that popular and give it the best possible chance to succeed? All right. I will just answer this since I'm, my tongue is all warmed up now. Um, so my first thought is that this is a lot of work, Brent, and you're basically delaying the release of a trilogy that sounds like it's almost done. If it were me, I would just plan on making book one in the trilogy free for a while and doing everything possible to market that. Nothing really works as well as full novels to get people to feel like they're getting a deal for their free. And it's also a lot longer of a story. So there's more chance to draw someone in. I've generally found that Short stories don't really work for anything. <laughs> like they can be good bonus material. If you already have like got them hooked, they love your characters. They love their series. They might love getting a free short story at that time, but it never seems like really enough of a enough, enough meat to really get people to decide, Oh yeah, I like this author. I'm willing to drop $5 for this. Now, if you really want to write shorts because they sound fun to you, don't let me dissuade you. But like I said, I think you'll get more mileage from a free book one and maybe keep the prequel paid and publish it later uh, as prequels aren't generally as appealing as a book one to an audience. I think people view them as ancillary material and really want to start with what they assume is the true starting point of the series, the book one. So that's how I would do it. Having done all kinds of bonus content and done all this, <laughs> done a lot of things you're talking about doing already. I think that you'll get most mileage from really just going hard on that book one. And you don't have to keep it perma-free, especially if it's only a trilogy, um, but maybe try free for the first three months and then make it paid again. And then when you're done publishing the trilogy and the prequel, come back and do another run, free run on the book one. Uh, those are just my thoughts. I'll pass it off. Uh, I agree. Um, I have experimented with serials and the like, and I've almost always found that putting that effort into extending the series would have been more worth my time. Uh, I do keep writing serials because as Lindsay said, when something is enjoyable, you find reasons to do it. 
But if it comes down to having a trilogy with a serial lead in or having a five book series with a free series starter, I would absolutely choose extending the series and starting it with a free book rather than trying to lead people in with a serial. Serial have sort of their own serials are like uh, a series in miniature and that you've got problems with read through and stuff like that. So uh, it's, it's just, I would, I would focus on smaller numbers of, of longer material. Yeah, you ended right while I was yawning. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> um, okay, so I don't know. Um, yeah, we've talked about this before, but also remember that readers who like shorter fiction aren't usually the same readers as those who like longer fiction, so like novels. Uh, so you might find that it doesn't convert. Um, I did something similar to this, to what you're talking about. I wrote three novellas that went hand in hand with my Mosaic Chronicles, and they drew in an a very, very different crowd. And I actually wrote those and released those about a year before I wrote and released the first few books in my Mosaic Chronicles. And honestly, people who have, who have been diehard fans of the series and the books, they have not enjoyed those novellas as much as people who, you know, found me through those novellas. And so, um, people who wanted to read my novels didn't want to read the novellas and vice versa. So just keep that in mind. Um, like Lindsay said, short stories and things like that are great for bonus material though, to get people on your newsletter list or, you know, get, give them a little bonus for downloading things like that. Okay. So Dominique says, I'm always curious about self-published literary fiction. I know it doesn't sell generally, but if there are any tips about it, I'd appreciate it. Literary fiction is an extremely different animal from genre fiction when it comes to promo and I have zero experience with it. And nothing that I've done has been even remotely close to literary fiction. The audience is, to put it dip diplomatically, they're very discerning, the, the literary audience folks. You're probably going to self-publish it, I would assume. And this, it, this might be the time to court individual reviewers because people who are fans of literary fiction are really on the lookout for quality and importance. And so you need sort of the voice of authority to help you sell a book. Uh, yeah. So if you, if there's any way that you can put your book up for some sort of an accolade or an editorial proof rather than, uh, than the standard methods of discovery, I think that literary fiction is it. I don't have personal experience here either, but I've heard people recommend trying to go traditional with literary stuff, probably because it's a hard sell, probably because you're rarely doing a series, so you can't really employ any of the series tactics. And awards seem to be quite important with literary fiction as far as getting people to read it, getting recognition in that genre. And of course, there's still a bit of a stigma with self-published books, especially when it comes to literary fiction. Uh, so a traditional publisher might get your foot in a few more doors here. That said, as someone mentioned in the comments for this question in the Facebook group, uh, Libby Hawker is someone who's had success with this. So you might go stalk her a little bit, um, not at her house, but she's done interviews online uh, on the podcast and stuff. And um, she's done some, she wrote the... Uh, pants. What is the book about? Take off your pants. <laughs> She's done like a blurb writing book, a couple of good books too. So definitely go check her out if, if you're interested in all that she's done. And this, she's had a lot of success. So, uh, worth, worth the stock. Um, yeah, she's one of the very first, uh, self-published authors I followed. So, um, okay. So if I were writing literary fiction, I'd appeal to what traditional publishers are looking for and, and would go that route. Um, like they've said, literary fiction is a lot harder to sell than commercial, but publishers do prefer it sometimes. So just kind of research, look into what they're going for, what they're looking. I don't know what they're. And then, I mean, if you do want to self-publish it, then still, you're still going to want to watch traditional publishers and model 
your um, your marketing plan after theirs because they do still sell literary fiction better than self-published authors do. All right. Next question is from Christy. Uh, where and how should you buy promo for a not-to-market book? This is where I might bypass the sponsorship sites that, um, cause they put together their audience usually by the genres they select when they sign up. And I've never had good luck selling my pen name sci-fi romances that way. Sci-fi romance is never one of the categories. I one time managed to get a book bub ad for the sci-fi romance and they put it in the paranormal romance category, which is horrible. There was like a space station on the front of the ship. So it's like, no, there are no vampires and shifters in a cool urban setting for this story. And it performed very poorly. I, it's probably the only book bub I ever had that did not earn earn out the, the cost of the book bub. Uh, so in this case, I would say Amazon ads where you can target authors doing something similar to what you're doing. Uh, again, Facebook. Also, you can target similar authors with interests. BookBub 2, you can pick out, uh, you know, BookBub, pay, the pay-per-click stuff, not the this $500, $800 sponsored posts. Um yeah, those would be my bets. Was where you can actually target specific audience or specific authors who are writing in the same kind of subgenre that you're writing in. Uh, I agree. Uh, uh, it's been a while since I did it, but uh, about a year ago, or more than a year ago, I spent some time to really uh, hone in on BookBub ads, and I've found that if you can put together a list of comp authors, like uh, I believe Brent did in a couple questions ago, then BookBub ads can really. Uh, be fairly effective there they, you can spend as much money as you want so you're gonna really want to uh focus on getting return on investment but when you when you sharpen up your your comp well enough you can usually get some good uh you know click through um my books don't have great comp authors like i've really struggled finding comps and so i've focused on the sponsorship webs websites like robin reads book barbarian ent um free books see i'm trying to think of book sends um, let's see, reading deals, fussy library. And those are the kinds of things that I did. And I still actually run promos with them. Like my next promo is with book barbarian and Robin reads, I believe in two days. So on Christmas, um, but so those actually did work really well for me. And I, what I would do is I would pick first, I would decide which genre I wanted to submit for. So like my mosaic chronicles, sometimes I would submit it under fantasy, sometimes under teen and YA, sometimes under horror, because those are the strongest mashups, you know, mixups. And I didn't have as much success as authors whose books fit the specific genres perfectly, but it still got my foot in the door where readers are concerned. And that's basically how I, I don't know how I really got going until I discovered Facebook ads and Facebook ads took a lot of time to master. Um, and we should do a Facebook ad episode. I think that would be fun. But <laughs> okay, um, off to Lindsay. Sorry, I'm like where are we going now? I don't know if this is the time that, that it would be fun. It seems like every other author doing Facebook ads is having problems right now. Uh, those in the <laughs> Facebook group communities will know there have been a lot of people getting their accounts closed or something. And I haven't run any for quite a while, so I haven't run into any trouble. But I've seen uh, David Gogren's, I think blogged about it or vlogged, whatever it is, if it's a video. And um, I think quite a few authors have just been having a hard time this fall, heading into this winter, but hopefully that will resolve soon. The next question is from Celine. Speaking of comp authors, how do you select comp authors for advertising if, uh, if there aren't much in the way of big authors with similar books to yours? 
And yeah, it can be tough. I've on and especially until Amazon ads came along and also the BookBub ads where you can target very specific tar- uh, authors. I, I really struggled um, a bit to find authors that write the way I do sort of serious stories, but with humor and snark in space opera or kind of high fantasy, especially on Facebook where the targets have become more and more limited over the years. Um, like a lot of my readers would tell me they really like Ilana Andrews, but until I actually started an urban fantasy series, she seemed like a bad author to target with like my space opera or epic fantasy, but it's possible my readers were trying to tell me something and I was ignoring it that Ilana Andrews fans might also like high fantasy with humor and snark. So I would say don't make too many assumptions. Try some authors, try some authors that you think are stylistically similar, even if they're not in the same subgenre as you and emphasize the style in your blurb or in the copy for your ad. Like if um, snark and humor are a part of your books, even if that's not really a typical thing people look for in epic fantasy, maybe you put it in your blurb for your epic fantasy anyway, and try to get those um, authors in urban fantasy that are kind of similar to yours, uh, just doing a slightly different uh, subgenre of fantasy. So I guess that would be my suggestion is don't make assumptions, try it, spend $5 on an ad and, and see how it, well it works targeting authors that are stylistically close. Yeah. And um, if you already have books published, uh, the standard method to try to find comp authors is to look at your also bots. You can also poll your audience um, and see what they say. Uh, Also, keep in mind, big authors aren't necessarily the people you want to be targeting anyway, because everyone targets the big authors. And when it comes to targeting for advertising, the size of the audience that you're throwing the the target around, the net for, is pretty much what you're trying to, to, to hone in on. So if you can put together a list of mid-list authors instead of trying to find one big author, that's just as good in most most cases. Uh, so yeah, uh, I would say, you know, this mostly depends upon you already having some amount of sales or audience. Uh, if you don't have any of those, you might ask your beta readers if they have any similar similarities to talk about. But yeah, uh, don't worry about giant authors. If you can find mid-list authors or even just, you know, a long list of uh, smaller authors, you might still have some pretty successful ads. Yeah. Something I found um, kind of going off what, what Joe said, bigger authors catch random readers. So like divergent people read divergent who don't normally read or who read, you know, maybe romance or something and same with like twilight. And I mean, the bigger author they are, the more likelihood they have of having a very muddled audience. And so like Joe said, get, find the midlist authors. Um, one thing that I did was I went to Goodreads and I looked for lists of popular authors in my genre. And then I just scraped that basically. I just like got all of the authors. There's companies out there that you can pay to have them go and scrape that data. And it's not illegal which it makes it sound illegal, like you're hacking Goodreads. Um, but scrape that data and then target those authors, remove the big ones again, target those authors in Facebook ads. And that's been really, really good for me. Um, anyway, so I'd also ask your readers directly what else they read, then see how it goes targeting, the, targeting those authors and books. Um, some authors and some books will give you better results than others. But again, it's all, all of this is about taking data, testing it, and just seeing what works best for you. And it can be a headache, but if you go slow at it just a little bit every day and just keep track of what you're doing, then you'll eventually find out where your target audience is.
And it's my turn to read a question. <laughs> Ian says, is it worthwhile to spend money advertising books that are not written to market? Um, all right. So any advertising is worth it if your return on investment is good enough. So, you know, you have to keep an eye on it and hone your, your ads in. Uh, Off-market books are going to be bigger challenges for targeting, uh, for targeting, and shoveling money into them all willy-nilly is going to be a recipe for losing a lot of money because even a successful ad is likely to saturate its audience if the audience is small enough. Uh, so in the, in the shorter run, though, lower-cost ads that you refresh uh, when they taper off, can still pay off. And more to the point, you're going to have to advertise in order to be discovered. Just that's the way things are right now. So it doesn't feel like it's very useful advice to say if you do everything perfectly, it'll work. But if you do everything perfectly, it'll work. And Lindsay pointed out in the chat with regard to the last question, I we, we talked about targeting smaller authors if you can. Facebook might not have those authors available for targeting. So that still remains to be a problem. Yeah, it was nice when Amazon actually came along and also BookBub where you could target anybody basically <laughs> if they if they have like one follower on BookBub I, I think they show up and on Amazon you can target anybody any AS, ASIN anything okay uh, so but to answer Ian's question is it worth money is it worthwhile to spend money advertising books that are not written to market um, as Joe said it's going to be a challenge if you don't spend any money on advertising but you probably will find that ads don't convert as well uh, as to market stuff does. I certainly found that it's much easier to break even on a book one that's closer to the market than one that isn't. So you have to, you know, watch the bottom line. This is where if you have a series, uh, you know, the longer you get into the series, the more books you have at full price, the more you can afford to spend advertising book one and you may be able to make it work then. But it's hard, but try not to get discouraged if it seems like others are having way more success, you know, marketing the more to market stuff than you're having. And it sounds like you're spending the same amount of money or even there's, you're spending more money. I've definitely had now that I've written so many series, I found that some of them just really aren't worth spending the money like on Amazon ads, even on a book one in an eight book series. They're just like, eh, this one doesn't convert as well, or it's free. The book one's free anyway. So I'm paying tons to get people to download a free book. Um, whereas I've, I have other series that convert a, a lot more easily. Book one is just closer to what you know people want that are reading in that subgenre or the closest subgenre. Uh, so I advertise the ones that work, and then I trust that readers will enjoy the series well enough. They'll go and check out my other books, and, and every now and then I'll get a free booksy or something on a free book one uh, for one of those series where it's not worth it to do with Amazon ads. So at any given time, I'm usually running only running Amazon ads on maybe a box set, a, a complete box set or something, and then make the two, two most recent series. Uh, uh, do not do much of the backlist stuff at all and because that stuff's not in KU. Also, I find it less worthwhile to do Amazon advertising. It's a little easier to make things work out when the page reads are also a factor into covering the cost. So I will pass it on to Andrea. Yeah. Um, what Lindsay said, um, writing off market can make authors very, very discouraged. Um, and I write off market almost completely exclusively. I have like maybe two books that are written to market and I don't do anything with them because that's their Western romance and I just don't have the time. Um, so writing off market, our books don't perform nearly as well and we have to fight tooth and nail for every reader and dime we get. 
Um, I've always, I always have a low level Facebook ad running to at least one of my books. So generating a little bit of traffic and that helps on the Amazon side helps keep things just boosted just enough. You know, um, it's constantly an uphill battle though. Um, even when I find readers who are super passionate and buy everything I release, it's still, it's still difficult. Um, and then same with, um, running a longer, like with a longer series, if you're determined to do it, having a slightly longer series will help earn back money spent on the first book over having a shorter one. But then you have to decide if the time spent writing the books is worth the money you would have made had you written something to market. If you're like me and you seem incapable of writing to market, regardless of how hard you try, um, you're gonna, it's, I don't know, like I tried so hard. I thought I was writing to market with my shadow profit series, but I wasn't. <laughs> so anyway, um, if you're determined to write off market, for example, I mean, if your interest lies in, in there, if that's where your passion is, a longer series will help, especially if you can get it selling, which is the trick, of course. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Juliana. Uh, are you better off going wide or trying KU for books that are not written to market? Is there a big difference in wide audience expectations? Perhaps it even varies from platform to platform versus in KU. And uh, I'll start us off here with, uh, interestingly, my most off-market book, the infamous Pizza Dragon book, it started life as my first KU title. And uh, it underperformed even compared to my other two off-market books. Uh, between the other two were between and the other eight, one of which is a sci-fi fantasy mashup and uh, a superhero satire, uh, respectively. So those were both released wide, and they did much better on release and had a better long tail, too. Uh, in fact, when I finally decided to take uh, Pizza Dragon out of uh, KU and do it wide, the second release where I opened up wide had just about as big a spike as the Amazon release did. So I find that KU was not hugely successful for me with my off-market stuff. However, take this with a grain of salt because as I said, it was my very first KU title, so I wasn't ex exactly uh, experienced. And also, uh, I'm because of that, I'm mostly a wide author, and therefore I had a pretty substantial wide audience who were probably just waiting for me to release it wide. So, uh, you know, not scientific in my uh, in my analysis. I would say it's not necessarily going to be easier wide, but with stuff that isn't to market, you may find that KU works less well for you. And therefore, it's not really worth the trade-off of being exclusive with Amazon. Also, if you're wide, you can do the free book one perma-free or free for long periods, not just the five or seven days, whatever they give you. Uh, as far as expectations from the audience... Basically, just that outside of KU, you're going to have to wow them more because honestly, if, uh, if someone's getting the book essentially for free, they're, there's a little more, they're more likely to continue reading the series than if they have to decide, uh, $5. I'm not sure if I'm that into it or not. So the books probably have to be better if you actually want the sales and not just borrows. Not to say they shouldn't be good under any circumstances, but you know, somebody that's just eh, kind of in there may continue reading, uh, the free book you know, where they wouldn't buy it. So, you know, you can try both ways. It's not to say one won't work and, and only one will, but uh, that's sort of my thoughts on that. Yeah. And just a quick note on that. Um, wide readers tend to be pickier. They don't download something, even something free, unless they're going to read it a lot of the time. And so um, you just want to make sure that you're hitting things quite squarely in that area. 
Um, but to me, this isn't a question of whether off-market books will do well in or do better in Kindle Unlimited or not. Uh, but it's mostly a question of how fast you can write. Um, when I'm writing and releasing quickly, so like six novels a year, um, my books do well in Kindle Unlimited. Uh, most of my books are off-market. Like I said, I only have two that aren't. But And so when I'm releasing slowly, my books don't do as well in Kindle Unlimited. And of course, they don't do as well in general, because new releases do boost back sales. I think somebody, was it you, Lindsay? Like your new releases are like 50% of your income and then your backlog is like the other 50%. Yeah. I haven't done, looked at the graph for this year, but I think that was either 2018 or 2019 was that way. So books released that year were about half of the income. And then the rest of the backlog, even though I don't advertise it as much or spend hardly anything advertising the backlist beyond a couple of years back, uh, it, there's, it's big enough now that, <laughs> you know, it's sort of just, they add up. So that's always, uh, one good thing about getting more books, uh, in your library. All right. Next question is from Debbie. This is the situation I'm in, planning to go wide in YA historical fantasy. My question would be which way to lean for the cover, historical or fantasy? I have two three-book series to launch next year. I'm writing a reader magnet that connects to both series. I split that book into two parts. Act one will be the free magnet, and I'm tweaking acts two and three to be a standalone book on all platforms to hopefully lead readers into both series. Um, as we said earlier, I would find I tend to find that sci-fi or fantasy audiences are more likely to embrace outside elements in their books than the other genre audiences are to accept sci-fi or fantasy elements. So my rule of thumb is to go with the genre audience rather than the the well the the broader genre audience rather than the more specific. Uh, so I would therefore go for the the, the fantasy cover. If you're going to split, if you're going to split a single book. I would recommend to either have a satisfying full experience in the first book that entices people to continue rather than pulling out the rug from underneath them. Uh, you would need an absolutely killer cliffhanger and a rapid follow-up in order to justify having a cliffhanger at all. I, I did this, uh, but it really leaves a bad taste in the mouth of your readers when you, a cliffhanger by definition makes it feel like you're not getting the full story. So just if you end up splitting a book uh, or anything like that, make sure that you have a good experience. As far as the covers go, kind of we talked about this before, how sci-fi and fantasy people will read things that stretch as long as they've got some sci-fi and fantasy in, whereas historical readers don't want any sci-fi and fantasy in their historical fiction unless they are also sci-fi and fantasy fans. So I would just lean on the fantasy there. Um, and again, there are actually historical fantasy is a popular enough thing that there are covers and, and books out there in that subgenre. So you could kind of check out what's been done by other authors, whether they're traditional or indie. Ideally, look at ones that have sold well. Um, as far as the rest, it sounded a little complicated, honestly. When things start to sound complicated, it, I'm not going to say it won't work, but it, it may be, if it's at all possible to simplify, that may not be a bad idea. I don't find that parts or unfinished stories really work as well to draw people in. If that's what I'm, if I'm understanding that correctly, um, like I said, we, before you can do extra scenes and, and stuff like that once you've got them and they've read the main series and, you know, for bonus stuff, but a complete and satisfying story works best for your free thing to entice people to pay more books. Uh, if you're trying to make it work to, 
draw people into two different series, I guess the, the concern would be that it, it's overly complicated or it's not rooted enough into one to really draw them in to continue on. It, it's hard for me to say without looking <laughs> very specifically at what you've done, the examples of what you've got going. But like I said, it, it sounds complicated. Uh, I, again, I would say a free book, one that's a complete novel, is probably always going to be the easiest thing to lure people into the rest of the series. Um, but that's, again, just me. I don't know exactly your situation. And for me, I would, I personally, I think I try to represent both historical and fantasy on the covers. So I am a fantasy reader, uh, but I have to be in the right mood to read historical. And that mood happens like once every five or six years. So um, I'd be disappointed if I picked up a book that looked like contemporary fantasy and was actually historical fantasy. But honestly, I don't know, like what kind of fantasy is it? What kind of historical fantasy? Because epic fantasy is pretty much historical fantasy, right? Um, so if you're writing along those lines, your covers will automatically look like historical fantasy. Um, and then also the area you're writing about will affect things a lot. So if there's technology, think like steampunk-esque, you'll be in a different category from medieval fantasy, which is basically epic. Um, and then I wasn't quite sure what the question was. If she, if you're asking, um, if, um, act one will be a complete story on its own because it sounds like act two and three would be a complete story on their own, which means act one might be as well. Um, if so, that's fine, but readers are still going to view it as incomplete, even if the story stands on its own, especially depending on how you title it. So just, um, yeah, I agree with Lindsay. Just try to give people complete things like sample chapters have never worked for me for download bonuses. And it's my turn again. Man, I'm really great at that. <laughs> so Dan and Lara said or asked, what techniques might you use to market audiobooks that don't fit into a specific category? And since I don't market audiobooks yet, I'm handing this off to Lindsay and Joe. Honestly, I'm still trying to figure out how to market audiobooks that do fit into categories pretty well. Um, if you're not exclusive to Audible, you can try making some of your stuff free via Findaway Voices. It's still not going to get you free on Amazon slash Audible as far as the audiobooks. Um, but you can give it a shot. I think Google Play and, and a few of the other bigger stores will uh, obey your wishes <laughs> and make it free. Um, if you're exclusive... Yeah, you don't have that option because uh, Audible, they're choosing the pricing on the audiobooks. And um, longer books seem to be more appealing if that applies to you. Uh, it may change a little bit since their subscription model is changing a little bit. But traditionally, people have gotten like their one credit a month is sort of the default or subscription level. And so they've wanted the longest book as possible. So uh, even if you've written sh shorter books, possibly you could take three and bundle them into one for your first audiobook to make something that's 20 hours instead of three, seven or eight hour books. That in itself may be more appealing for the people out there that are searching for a, the longest book audiobook they can get for their money. And I have been told, but have not tried this yet myself, that exclusive audio content that is only available on the audiobook is a good way to get your regular ebook readers to grab the audiobooks. And, and of course, anytime you can advertise the ebook, uh, you'll probably get some spillover sales from people that uh, they saw the promo on BookBub or, or Book Barbarian or wherever. And um, they're also audiobook fans. So they decided to pick up the audiobook version instead of the ebook. Or occasionally I get readers that get both. Uh, they're probably at least half of my audiobook sales. I know I've got a lot of people who only listen to the audio too, but uh, yeah, so those are some things you can try. 
in my case, uh, unless you're specifically trying to build an audience and audio, uh, I usually just lean on ebook and well, I, I usually just lean on book marketing in general and hope that the series sales will buoy any interest in the audio as well, because I tend not to have an audio book released right on top of its, of its print release or its ebook release. Uh, it's usually a later is a later entry in the series being used to boost interest in the series in general. And then, Oh, by the way, here's an audio book from earlier in the series and getting my, my traffic like that. That's what I try to do anyway. So there you go. All right. I will say that once you get more fans that are coming in as audiobooks, because you've marketed the audiobooks and you've gotten that audience, that they will be less and less um, accepting if you have a big delay on the audiobook coming out later than the ebook. I'm kind of dealing with that now because I'm a couple months behind. So that's uh, something to think about too. <laughs> if you're actually successful with audiobooks, you may have to really be on the ball or hold back the release of the ebook uh, to release them together to keep those fans happy, uh, especially people that come from traditional publishing, reading and listening to a lot of that stuff where everything usually is all released in one day. All right, guys, I think we have answered many questions and talked for an hour. Is there any, any final thoughts from anybody before we wrap up for the night, for the year? I guess when this goes out, it'll be like <laughs> New Year's Eve or something. I'm sure everybody will ris- listen right away. They'll be like, yay, New Year's Eve. Just happy holidays for me. Yep, likewise, I am, I am out of information for this week. All right. Yep. Happy holidays. Have a good new year. I think our next show, we'll talk a little bit about goals and stuff like that for 2021. All right. Uh, Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Bye-bye. Bye. So long, everybody.